Okay, you got it? Yeah, uh, so... G... 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 Jai. Jai Deeg. Oh, yeah. Okay, um... Jai Deeg. Okay, okay, good, yep, yep. All right, five seconds. Four, three... Hello, welcome to Stax Radio uh, with your host, G. Dig. Oh, you stupid fuck! Stax Radio with G. Dig. 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 day and welcome to another podcast. It's the first podcast of the year. 2021 and oh what times we live in we're uh, absolutely being pumped at the moment we're having to wear face masks wa's just come out of a week of lockdown there's so much happening it's back to school it's all sort of going on right now it's absolutely crazy and it's a great time to do a podcast because why well there's not much else happening a rainy day here of a sunday and uh i've got a very special friend of mine in the studio today uh, I'm going to call him Captain Rusty's because some of the things we talk about today are quite controversial and um, due to that uh, uh, and also the position that uh, the old Capitain holds, he prefers to remain anonymous so I'm going to respect that and uh, keep him pretty quiet as far as uh, some people will know who I'm talking about when they one hear his voice and, uh, and I'm of course referring to him as Captain Rusty's. Uh, to, take, uh, to take old Cap back he uh we we had a a lot to do with each other when we were younger um this fellow's actually watched me grow up as a kid uh we've both moved over to the west um have a massive love of rugby league and we also have a uh, a strong affiliation with things like sailing and and look we've stayed close over those years and, uh, and i'm pretty happy to call him one of my best mates here in wa he uh he works in an interesting field and also is a person that commandeers a couple of uh uh, Facebook pages that are quite um, controversial in, in, in some aspects and um, he's a man that's been through I'm going to say the ringer over the years and, and has a pretty good opinion and an educated opinion on uh, one that's w- what's happened with him over the years and also uh, a lot of the discussion groups that he does um, host and he does talk and, and he's, he's a good man and puts a lot out there for people uh, to um, to obviously take home and think about. So I'm going to uh, introduce him very shortly. Um, before that, he's a massive fan of uh, country music and all things music. Um, Captain Rusty's is a is a connoisseur, so we do often have a lot of musicians on this program. But this time, it's also good to talk to a listener, someone that absolutely appreciates the music. Um, so Captain isn't a uh, a musician himself, but he's a fan, and without the fans what would be the point, basically. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to introduce the man himself. Welcome aboard, Captain Rusty. It's good to have you here, buddy. Thanks, Jai. This is my first time on air, so it's very exciting for me. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. There is, mate. It's uh, it's crazy time. So we're at the moment, we're going we're just out of a lockdown for a week. Uh, COVID is obviously the uh, COVID-19 is the big, uh, oh, the big topic point for a lot of people around at the moment. And... Uh, Mate, you've you, you've been diving into a little bit of uh, a bit of research and study all about the the COVID nineteen. What just before we even get into that, what did you do during your week of lockdown? Did you did you did you study? Did you get some stuff done around the yard? What what happened? Uh, yeah, did lots of uh, study and research. Um, and my missus is also very much into this sort of stuff. And uh, you know, we've got a nice spa at home, so we've had lots of spas, and we've been. 
doing the odd jobs around the house and uh, getting everything nice and spick and span ready for the uh, new year coming up. For a lot of people listening and that, you, you're a very pretty active sort of bloke, Carl. Does it does it weigh down on you a bit mentally when you do you feel jailed or something when you kept when you're being kept at home for, or do you make use of and see light of the light of the, well, know, the situation? Mate, I'm I'm pretty adaptable. Um, over the years, I've had to learn to be adaptable, and uh, and I am now, and very resilient sort of person. So it doesn't really concern me that much in the short term, but uh, in the long term, it uh, it certainly does concern me. I see a lot of um, younger people are struggling with the the isolation that we have to do. Um, I guess if you haven't got either a project or a hobby or just something to do, I suppose it can get long that week but mate I really feel for those over east especially Victoria that's that's had long periods of lockdown so we've, we've actually done quite well. Absolutely and um, you know there's been a lot of conjecture about what has been done uh, by various governments there seem to be a lot of the same mistakes made by governments uh, throughout the Australian states um, it's always a quarantine guard not wearing a mask in every state and these sorts of things have uh, you know, they, I think, they seem pretty stupid, really. Well, when you look at it, I mean, you've got let's let's just like jump on that wagon for a second. When you look at it, you've got uh, basically security. I mean, we don't know the ins and outs of the protocols, but when you're dealing with something that can shut down a state and have a massive impact on the economy as it can do, do you think perhaps that they should put a lot more or maybe some other form of um, guarding than a than a you know like a, a part time security guard like it just seemed to me that they the finger was right off the pulse there and that they need to look at this a lot more carefully. My way of looking at it is, if the experts think it's so deadly, why don't they have a security guard that is working only in that area? He doesn't go home. And if he wants to stop working in that area, he has two weeks in quarantine himself. Of course, yeah. And not only that, would have to obviously abide to protocol. I mean, they, they must be getting tested quite regularly, but it still astounds me that, the, especially the case in Australia, is that the guy that, that, that you know, was patient zero for this recent lockdown was also a part-time, I, I won't say Uber driver because he didn't work for Uber, but it was another company very similar to the type of Uber driving. And he, he worked for that company. And they state that he didn't drive while he was sick. However, the possibility was there for him to. Um, the protocols just seem to, there's too many holes. There's just not enough protocol put in or, you know, I mean, why could we not use either, I know police are stretched, I understand, army are stretched, but couldn't we have health officials based at these hotels that basically oversee what's going on? Well, I'm sure they've got plenty of experts overseeing what's going on and, and that's where it all falls short. These experts can't work out that, hey, this guy's working in several different positions and this has happened all over Australia. These blokes are working in several different positions um, and they are able to spread the virus before anyone else knows about it. And uh, why don't they just pay them well, like double what they're getting paid, and they can, that can be their only job, and they stay there. And if they want to get out and, and do something else, then they have, have to go into lockdown themselves. So basically, it's a, it's a one-stop shop. So you're either doing the job or you're not, and, yeah. then, and you obviously have your two weeks incubation either side of that. So That would seem sensible. That would seem to fit in with what they're saying to everybody else. 
So there seems to be different rules for different people all the way through this coronavirus ever since the damn thing started. Yeah, now, now you're a bit of a, uh, I won't say influencer, I don't know if that's the right term, but you do host a couple of Facebook sites. Um, I, we'll discuss later as to whether or not you want to reveal those sites, but they, they are Facebook sites which have got quite a few followers and these discussions do go on. And, and I must admit, mate, the years that I've known you, you've you've had a lot to say and, and a lot of opinions, but you see a lot of opinions just spout out of people all the time, but these ones are well-founded and you actually, you're one of the few people that back up your opinions with, with um, evidence. And uh, we were discussing earlier about um, a certain Senator over in uh, Queensland that, that, has a certain opinion and we're talking about a drug that you know is, is possibly out there that, that Vic- hasn't been Victoria even, actually mate but sorry yeah. yeah Victoria that hasn't been used and and there's a whole new can of worms to open up on that one so Carl tell us a little bit about that there was a can you tell us a little bit about that we all know about the senator that was in the paper so I guess we can speak about it but talk well, to me more about that well that's Senator Craig Kelly now he um he was talking to Pete Evans who you know, I'd say Pete Evans is a bit of a crackpot. But anyway, even crackpots can say the right thing sometimes. And we need to learn to listen to everybody, not just the experts, because the experts are making mistakes left, right and centre. Now, we have other experts, such as um, Professor Robert Clancy, who is backing up um, exactly what Craig Kelly has been saying about hydroxychloroquine. I'm just going to stick with that one drug. Yep. Because that was uh, that was brought up way back last February as a, a, a possible, uh, not cure, but something that can help out with the virus. Now, there's been that many studies that say it does help out, but as soon as Donald Trump said hydro- hydroxychloroquine, everyone went, no, we can't have that. We can't have Donald Trump saying something that's actually correct. And it was correct, and there's a lot of evidence that shows it's correct. In the early part of the virus infection, in the early part of the infection, okay, sounds much better, in the early part of the infection, hydroxychloroquine is very effective and um, it shows in Africa like there's hardly a, uh, there's hardly anyone getting this, uh, this virus in Africa and the reason is because They've been getting hydroxychloroquine weekly for years. So you just said it was it was a treatment from malaria. Correct. Now my understanding of malaria that it was a it's a it's a bloodborne disease that's um, obviously transmitted by mosquitoes, uh, gets in the blood and causes all sorts of issues with um, your central nervous system and things like that. Look, I'm not a doctor, don't I'm a muso mate. Usually we're talking about tits and ass here on this show, so I apologise for trying to be uh, more intelligent than I am, but. It, Malaria was a, you know, that that was, uh, there's an Asian-based malaria and, of course, it was an African-based malaria. Now, I think we mentioned something earlier that you said a lot of these country, these countries, or, or let's take Africa, for example, they've been treating malaria for a lot of years with this drug. Correct. And the, the number of COVID cases in these areas where the malaria was prevalent is almost non-existent. Am I, am well, I right in saying cer- that? Certainly very low. And Asian countries have been using hydroxychloroquine right through. Right. And uh, for the Western nations to all get on board and say, no, you can't use that drug, tells me that something's going wrong. Now, um, Professor Robert Clancy from Newcastle University was just on um, ABC Newcastle with 
um, Peter Turpin, who's been at Newcastle ABC for a very long time, and um, he's been backing uh, what Craig Kelly's saying about the hydroxychloroquine. He's not very happy about it, but uh, he wants to say what's right. And what's the backlash that he's copying from A, the media, and B, other senators or, or people in government departments within Australia? Well, I'm not sure about Robert Clancy at the moment, um, whether he's getting any backlash whatsoever, but he's, um, he's quite um, concerned about what could happen to him down the track. Now, he's an older guy and he's got lots of contacts, so he can probably get away with it. And that's could say the same thing for Peter Turpin from ABC Newcastle. He's an older guy, he's been there since forever, and he's more likely to speak his mind. Whereas I think there's a lot of people coming up, starting their careers, and they're concerned if they don't stick with the uh, formula, then they're going to be chopped out. So Craig Kelly was, um, from from what I've seen in the media and the news of, of late, uh, he was pretty well ostracised for having those comments and, and was clamped down pretty hardly, especially by one... Uh, particular lady, and also I believe Scott Morrison jumped in on the on the debate there as well, and had a fair bit to say in regards to his. You know, I mean, they talk about the dangers of of saying this could start a a, a possible, you know, like uh, could kick something off for people wanting to obviously get hold of this this drug or or thinking that this drug is going to be their their, their saviour for you know COVID, and and they they wanted to sort of put all that sort of to bed pretty quickly, but. Look, mate, we're all about conspiracy theories on this show, and I don't want to just like um, degrade it by calling it a conspiracy theory. But you well, know, is, do, every, do you smell everything. a rat here? Do you think there's something going on as far as do you think? Is there every chance? I know pharmaceutical companies right throughout the world, and and there's documentaries on it throughout the world. Um, I just watched one recently called The Pharmacist on uh, Netflix in regards to a, uh, a pharmacist who watched his son uh, didn't watch. He went through his son being murdered. Uh, due to the fact he went to buy heroin and, and was unfortunately murdered by a young fella. And, and, but then that took him on to addiction, which then led to OxyContin, which then sort of led him on to a whole different thing and really put the, the blowtorch from his perspective on the pharmaceutical companies that are making millions out of the control of the pharmaceuticals, which people are able to gather so it's not a case of they're doing it's dr doolittle and he's doing the best he can it's no we're going to give these people this drug because this drug is a cheap to manufacture and, and secondly we make the most money from it so you know th there's a whole other level to this which is something that i'd like to touch on and do you have any input on that carl well the things we're, we're talking about um you know it's made out that it's a conspiracy theory when actually it's just common sense and a lot of people know it's common sense, but they're too afraid to speak about it. And that's probably the biggest problem at the moment is people are frightened to speak. Yeah, it's, uh, and why do you think that is? I mean, what implications do we have? I mean, I know I've, I've actually seen in the last few weeks uh, people's comments being shut down. I mean, we're going to talk about Facebook a lot here because it's a communication tool. Well, I'll, which... I'll, I'll go back to, sorry. Yep. I. But uh, I'll go back to Pete Evans, and I'll say he's a bit of a crackpot from um, My Kitchen Rules, and he's got some funny ideas, but he's also got some sensible ideas. Is he the guy that done the um, the the he, he, he was coming out with those cookers, but then he come up with a he's like a sterilisation type machine he, or something? Am I getting that right? Or he, he did have a uh, some sort of a a light machine which he wanted to sell. Yep. 
And, you know, so he's in there trying to make a quid, you know, and uh, I'm not really with him on that, but there are studies um, through the South Australian government um, on a similar sort of track. They're, they're looking at light, how that can affect the virus. And uh, I think everyone knows that if you get out in the sunshine, that uh, limits your uh, limits the virus as well. So well, You've only got to see, and I guess that's radiation is, is what we're talking about there, because you've only got to see the effects that sunlight has on a clothes, how it fades it, um, plastics and all those different things. It can be quite damaging to a lot of products out there. So obviously the sun has properties which is quite strong, um, which which I think is the radiation mm. that we see. But well, we have our grandmas, mate. We're all hanging their sheets out on the line to kill to kill everything in it. That's, yeah, that's you yeah. know, it's and it's the, just the common airing, sense. The airing of quilts and all that kind of stuff yeah. is out there for that exact reason. So, yeah, I mean, it obviously has properties which needs to be looked in. So, therefore, you can correlate that between light and. I don't know if everyone's ever been to a uh, to a barber shop or or the hairdressers, and they've seen where they keep their scissors and stuff. So you'll see a sterilisation little tub, and they'll have the water in the sterilisation. And there's a uh, it's almost like an iridescent type light that's in there, which obviously has certain properties which can you know sterilise the uh, the blade. So yeah, Pete Evans's machine or his product that he was coming out with was based on that principle. So he had he had ideas there, but was basically called a crackpot and I mean he is a bit left of center as a person but you know he, he he had you're right he had some good ideas and there must be something in that yeah well I, I don't know where he got his machine from or any of that sort of thing I wouldn't have a clue um, I steered clear of him in actual fact um, and then I heard he was talking to Craig Kelly and I saw the ABC and I saw them and um, and a, another politician from Victoria calling Pete Evans a Nazi. And I thought, a Nazi? Well, I know what a Nazi is. My grandmother was murdered by the Nazis, so I know what a Nazi is, and I've been hearing about Nazis all my life ever since I was a little child through my father. Now, to go and call somebody a Nazi is a a pretty big thing to say, but it's been bandied round um, on anyone who doesn't agree with with the formula. It's um it's a pretty heavy concept being being labelled a Nazi, isn't it? I mean, it's a the ideals of a Nazi is is far from anything to do with COVID. You know, well, I mean, it's it's why why would you call someone that? You know, so. well well that's why I um that's why I actually listened to the guy. I thought if he's a Nazi, I need to listen to this bloke and make sure he's blown out of the bloody off the planet. Yeah, and I listened to him. Well, he's not. He's not a Nazi, saying nothing like a Nazi would say. Do you think and, people today are quick to jump to conclusions about right or wrong? And 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 I, I guess that's going to stymie us moving forward as a, as a as a race and as a as a culture if we if we just suddenly are dismissive. We're becoming more and more dismissive daily, I believe. As a you know, as a uh, within our culture, we're just becoming this. Yep, no, you're right or you're wrong. We're dismissive. It's. I mean, even getting down to religion, people are just so dismissive about it now without actually looking into it, studying the facts, and then coming up with a with an educated opinion. And I think with Facebook and all the things we have now, people are very cheap with their opinions. I'll just throw an opinion out there without any substance and without any sort of backing up of, of why they think that way, you know. And then when questioned, a lot of them don't really have an answer. So, Well... I can go right back to to primary school 
And uh, I can remember the kids that used to suck up to the teachers and the kids who didn't. Now, some of these kids who didn't suck up to the teachers had opinions that were different to the teachers. Yep. And, you know, sometimes they were probably right. And that went through to high school and people know damn well what's going on, but they'll say anything to get the marks, to get the teacher to say tick, 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 tick. And then the same thing goes on to university. I couldn't believe going to university, and which I thought was a, a place of learning. I never thought I'd ever go to university because I was too stupid. Until I got there and I realised people are just ticking boxes. And I'm not talking in the hard sciences, engineering, yep. all that. I'm, I'm talking about the humanities. People are just ticking boxes and saying whatever needs to be said to get through um, and go out and start practising. They're not... They're not challenging. They're not thinking. They're just parroting. And do you think uh, with that, academics has taken a step back without actually being, I mean, in this day and age, if, you, if you've got a few thoughts, and I remember that when I was at uni too, that I'd, I'd ask questions and, and I'd, ch- I'd challenge the teacher quite a lot on a, on a lot of things because for me, I guess having a good wealth of life experience and having done a wide variety of things, that also accounted for as much as what I was learning as a part from just the academic and the hmm. and, and the scripted things that we needed to repeat and to learn and to repeat and learn. And of course, it's got its foundations and it's been that way for hundreds of years. But I mean, we only have to look at science and, and science is always wrong. Science is always wrong. And they're finding out as we go through, especially things like with geology and um, a lot of things like that, and they're finding out that they're just wrong. And then they can sit there, admit that they're wrong, learn from that, take what theories they had in the past and then apply it and then keep moving forward. But I don't know. There just seems to be this big, big... Well, this admitting that you're wrong is, you know, it just seems to be going out the window. Nobody will ever admit that they're wrong. The, uh, and that's why hydroxychloroquine has been knocked on the head. That's, that's what I think anyway. So what you're saying is the government's come so far that's with saying right. that, no, nah, this stuff is no good and all that, that they can't turn around now. Because can you imagine if they turned around now and went, oops, we've made a mistake. This stuff is actually fantastic for COVID-19. The blood that's on their hands because they... they yeah, that's right. They've, gone, know, they've gone too they far. They suppressed it for so long that they've gone too far to be able to turn around and go... That that is a really major thing to think about because that that's huge. And if it if it is, and and look, there's been things happen like this in the past, you know. There's, there's, it's been shown um, in Australian studies that uh, they didn't even use zinc, which zinc actually carries it through your body, and they didn't bother using zinc, and I believe they didn't want the damn trials to uh, to succeed. Now, this is, hasn't come out of Facebook or somewhere like that. It's out of the Australian, the Weekend Australian, you know, a pretty reputable um, newspaper, probably the most prestigious newspaper in Australia. And um, there are people out there saying these things, but it's not getting the media attention, not the mainstream media. And, uh, and, and the mainstream media, to me, is the, uh, the biggest problem. Now, if we want to go buy this drug, we can't just go to the chemist and it needs to be prescripted. And do you think there's been an agenda out there to say that, well, doctors can't prescribe this drug because of... Well, there are there are lots of doctors out there who want to prescribe it. And um, the frontline, American frontline doctors, um, they've been fighting really hard over there in the US. 
And um, I was listening to Simone Gould the other day and she was talking about the African situation and... Uh, was that with the Zika virus, the Zika virus in Africa, or are we talking another situation? No, they're talking about COVID. COVID, yep. They're talking about COVID and, and they're talking about um, hydroxychloroquine and other drugs. As I say, I'm sticking on hydroxychloroquine, which, and I'll make sure I make this very, very clear, is not being touted as the be-all and end-all drug for COVID, getting rid of COVID. It's not. It's good in the first 24, 48 hours, and uh, it's been shown to be very effective in those uh, in the, that short time. After that, it's no good. Why don't they just say it? Yep. Instead of saying it, no, it's no good for anything. Yeah, right. Are you saying that, like, if it was, is it a is it a preventative drug or is it a like after the court, like if you if, is it something once you develop symptoms, it helps with the symptoms. It's you know. pre- it is preventative, I believe, and also helps within the first 24, 48 hours. Right. If you give it to someone who's um, beyond that time, who's got it really bad, it's not going to do anything. And is there any side effects with this that, that that's none, known it's, of from your studies at all? It's been around. You know, I'm I'm only quoting other researchers. I'm, I'm not going to call myself an expert in this area, but I can listen yep. and I can think. Yep. And I think a lot of people out there don't want to think or listen. And um, and this is the problem. I've got a feeling that a lot of people are just ignorant to everything and just shut down and go about daily life and basically put their head in the sand whenever it comes to that, just waiting for the government to do whatever they do and then just be told what to do well, and so be it. You know? it's, it's easier that way. And as I was saying with, with the education in, in high school and university, well, it's easier just to, to kiss ass. Yeah, right. And that's what people do. Now, I, I used to talk to um, various um, professors and, and lecturers at uni about different things in the humanities and, um, and outside of the classroom, they would agree with me. There would be other students within that classroom would come up to me afterwards and say, well done, Captain Rusty. Um, you know, I wanted to say that, but I was, I was too frightened. I had um, uh, police officers come patting me on the back and say, oh, yeah, fantastic, that was really good. I said, well, where are you when I need you in the classroom? Oh, I don't want to get failed. And this is, that's university, a place of learning. You know, it, it just really, really um, upset me that university is not a place of learning, particularly in the humanities. You, Captain Rusty, knowing you for as long as I have, um, I know you as uh, a guy that's one very passionate about life and, um, you know, and about you're very giving, but you're also very, uh, you're very particular about uh, certain things. And, And when you see injust or if you see something that, can be improved, you kind of, you're not one of these people that is afraid to step out of the line and say something. You know, I've, I've known that from you from as long as we go back. And um, you've said some things over the years in regards to, you know, like uh, practice. And, and I know that you've also had um, uh, feminism, something that's close to your heart and, and the fact that it's 
and we'll get into that. And I'm sure this is gonna. This is why we're calling you Captain Rusty's today, and this is why it's going to be a controversial podcast. So before we get into the feminism side of things, that I know you've got a massive opinion on, and, and some great ideas, and also, I'll just cut you off before I lose the th- track of thought there, yep. John. Um, speaking out is something I have always done. Yes, and some people say that's a bad thing. I think it's a very good thing. And the reason I've always spoken out is precisely because of what I was told by my father about his life in Nazi Germany, what the Nazis were like, and that can all happen again. People think it can't happen again. Well, it can. And and in my way of seeing things, it is heading towards that way. We've got... Um, China involved in, in a lot of the universities pushing an agenda through there. They're stopping people talking. They've, they've got thugs within the universities who are going and and belting up other students who might say something that against China. Now, this is true too. And the correlation there with them and the Nazis is the Nazis had a mob called the Brown Shirts, which were very early on in their political career, mm. where they would actually have these Brown Shirts. And this is actually something that Adolf Hitler was in control of for a period of time. Those Brown Shirts would go out and they would politically influence people through violence. Yeah, and, and they would go, they had the kids going off to, uh, to the, what was the called for the kids? Oh, it was the Hitler Youth Program. Hitler so, Youth, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Hitler Youth Program. And um, they were educating the children on how to be a Nazi and the kids were listening. My dad told me about um, uh, seeing some old Jewish ladies walking across a bridge trying to cart all their stuff with them and, you know, they were really, really struggling and, and my dad, he oh, I've got to go and help these old ladies. Yep. And his, his friend said, oh, you can't go and do that. You can't go and do that. But anyway, he went and did it and he helped these old ladies drag their stuff across this bridge. And they, he said, you know, the old ladies looked at him and patted him on the head and said, you're a very good boy. You're a very lovely boy. And he always remembers that. And But when he came back, his mates all jumped on him and they dobbed him into the Hitler Youth, and he was in the he was in the shit over that because he, obviously the people that he helped across the bridge were they were, were Jews, they, they were Jew, they were yeah, Jews, they were Jewish, yeah, right. And and now we've got um, now as, as I say, Pete Evans being called a Nazi. So you've grown up. I mean, you've got an authority to speak on this. I mean, myself as well. I grew up having stories from my grandparents, not so much in depth. I mean, I think your father spoke a little bit more freely than my grandparents in regards to. Uh, we're both actually from an area in in um, outer suburbs of you know New South Wales, Newcastle sort of region, um, which were full of a lot of people that come over from the that the were obviously seeking asylum from from the war. Uh, a lot of Germans in particular, and and obviously um, we've both got uh, that heritage within our within our bloodlines, and we we grew up getting a different perspective of, I mean, if you grow up with English parents, you're going to have a different perspective on what Nazism is, what what it was all about, how it came about. And you probably didn't get without watching documentaries today and without these things that you see, which you're slightly removed from, that first-hand account of just daily life. And, and, and that obviously influenced the way your father was going to bring you up as a person, which... Obviously, has a lot to do with your outspoken, your 
Ab- you know, absolutely. It personality is, today. It is is the one thing that really has um, got inside of me, and it's it's led my life in lots of ways. So, if you were the son of, say, Dave the the blacksmith from you know out on the farm in Dan Darrigan up the road up there, and you've been long line of Aussie farmers since you know the first fleet came out and you know first pitched over here in WA back then, you'd have a way different perspective. Obviously, they're being brought up with a father that escaped Nazi Germany, you know, back mm. back in the day. So, yeah, interesting. Hello, Australia, and welcome to Stax Radio, brought to you by Close to Nowhere. That's right, here at Stax Radio, we endeavour to find out the lighter side of some of Perth's most interesting entertainers. So sit back and enjoy a beverage, and enjoy Stax Radio. Tally-ho! G'day and welcome back to part two of this podcast. We have been hard-hitting, heavy and political in the last 45 minutes or so, and I'm sorry, but we're going to make no apologies for that. This is a hard-hitting and a very thought-provoking podcast. We covered COVID-19, but I pretty much all think everybody's so tired of hearing about it um, that we're going to just steer away from that for a little sort of second. And we were sort of steering away that with uh, talking about a bit of Captain Rusty's background and, of course, um, his father's influence. And and it also helps you understand how this man thinks. Now, um, as I said in the earlier part of the podcast where he's been influenced heavily by a lot of the things that has gone on in his life, he's a very astute man, a well-studied man, and he uh, has a very good um, base for uh, study and putting together his opinions that aren't unfounded by research development and, and of course, I said study earlier. So um, we're going to get into a topic which is very close to his heart. Now, there is a Facebook page which he does um, uh, conduct throughout the uh, Facebook world, and it's and I've noticed he has a lot of men that are starting to come on board and talk about the uh, situations they've had, especially with the things like family breakdown and, of course, abuse that they face due to women which doesn't quite get the airplay that it well deserves every day of the week. It's something that's been held back vastly uh, throughout sort of social media and media throughout the country and throughout the world, in fact. So we're going to head down that path. Now, I just want to lay this up a little bit for Captain Rusty. He's been a, a, I don't like using the word victim, but he has been involved in a situation over the years where um, he had a particular partner, which... And I know this for a fact um, that, you know, had um, a lot to say about things that he'd done in the past. And a lot of that was unfounded. And when I was listening to Captain Rusty say this, to hear it from one perspective, it's it's you need to kind of listen to it and go, well, hang on. You know, there could be two sides to the coin here. But as the years developed, things have unraveled a little bit and you're starting to um, understand the whole picture and we're going to get into that whole picture now which is part of the reason Captain Rusty is so passionate about what I'm about to say and what we're about to talk about. So um, once again welcome back Captain Rusty and look mate we're going to go down that path and that is the systematic abuse of, of men throughout the world which doesn't quite garner the attention I mean, the, the, the abuse of women has well, sort of got... 
throughout the Western world, world mate, throughout mostly. the Western world but in the last. In other ways, throughout the world, because you know it doesn't happen so much in the Eastern cultures. I must admit, you know, yeah. it's, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's blokes listening today that's that's can relate to, you know, that that it has gone that way for them, and and you know, it's hard to speak up about, and let's talk about that now. Okay, so uh, again, the first thing that happens to shut you down is you hate women. And if you say that, you instantly people are off you and they switch off. And um, because you're brought up as a man, um, well, I certainly was, and you were, I know, to to respect women and and to treat them as you as your equal. Um, it's 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 really disappointing. But anyway, uh, I'm going to go back to my upbringing again quickly. Yep, and say that my father as well as being uh, taken away from his mother at birth and um, raised by another family. And then he was taken back by his father. His father had been in jail for being a communist. And, uh, and my father was taken back to his, uh, to his home with his dad. But his dad had um, hooked up with another lady. Now, this other lady, my father's stepmother, um, would tie my father up on the bed, all his limbs out, his four limbs out, tie him up by his limbs and have the other kids uh, suffocate him with a pillow and all this sort of stuff. And, um, you know, this went on for a long time. I I could tell you lots and lots of stories um, of the horrors he faced as as a kid growing up. And those things horrified me as a kid listening to them. It was a, a lot for me to, to take in as a, as a child, listening to those stories and, uh, and all the war stories and that. But it, it, it really stuck. Let's talk about where we grew up firstly. We grew up in a place called... Um, Hootersville. <laughs> It's uh, Holmesville on the map, but Hootersville to anyone that lives there. So we uh, grew up in a little country town. It was awesome, mate, growing up there. Yeah, yeah. Had a great time. Great upbringing. And, um, you know, there, there were problems, of course, but uh, and we knew of different families around the area that were struggling. And, um, you know, you knew those kids at school and you saw them and... You know, and all those things do influence you, but we're not going down that path no, now. No, we're going to light it up a bit. But, but in saying that, I mean, where we where we grew up was a as a culmination of a we had a lot of Polish people there. We had some uh, a heavy amount of Germans, and of course, there was a lot of you know second, third generation Australians. Hmm. One thing that was weird, and I remember when I was eighteen and, and young, actually seventeen when we when we met. What could have been sixteen. I had a partner who was Chinese. Her name was uh, Sarah. I'll leave it at that. And she was one of the probably the only Asian girl in our community. Um, we of course had a couple of the local Aboriginal community. There wasn't. We, no one cared. We no. We grew up in a in a European sort of melting pot, um, but it wasn't a massive. Massive sort of. Uh, it wasn't. So when you think multicultural, don't think. The Asian cultures or the African cultures, it was predominantly European culture where we grew up. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was very rare to see, as I said, I, Sarah was the only only Chinese girl I knew for a very long time. 
And Captain Rusty, you're obviously got a German heritage as well as as yep. well as myself. Yep, that's right. And um, and we had an old Polish bloke who lived down the road, and he was great fun. Um, and he, we had great fun with him. Now uh, I'll call him Mario. Now um, he, Mario would come down. He, he he looked after his wife who had cancer, and he looked after her for many many years. And uh, he would come down to our house to um, chat with Dad and that, and he didn't have his own kids, so he would spoil us rotten and uh, bring down cakes and bottles of Coke and stuff all the time, and and uh, he loved to do that sort of stuff, and he, he loved to tell Mum how to cook properly and, and all the rest of the things. So, <laughs> you know, um, a really hilarious uh, sort of growing up with that sort of character hanging around the house. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, he would... He would come to work with us, and uh, we'd, we'd help Dad on the weekends or whatever. And and Mario would come along to work, and he'd bring big a big bag, and you say, "What's in the bag, Mario?" Nothing, nothing for you. <laughs> He's like, "Come on, Mario, must be something in there." For me. No, 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 nothing for you. You, you, you stupid boy, you get nothing. And so you just hang out, and lunchtime would come around, and that accent sounds a lot like my grandfather, by the yeah. way. <laughs> and and he would uh, he would over oh, here have, and yep. we'd pass you the cream bun or whatever it was, sort of thing. And and we had lots and lots of stories, and uh, I'm going to tell a few now, of course. Excellent, excellent. Um, now my elder brother had a, a mate. And I'm not going to say his name because he's passed. But anyway, um, my brother and, and his mate, I'm going to call him Gary, they would be at the front. They just bought cars and that. And Mario, he loved his big V8s and everything. And he'd come down and he'd say, uh, what are you idiot doing here? <laughs> he didn't actually say idiot. He, he would call them idiots. Idiots. Yeah, you idiot. You idiot. Yeah, he said. Hey, why you not you change your earl? Why you not change your earl? Don't, uh, don't worry about changing earl, Mario. It'll cost money. Cheap if you don't change your earl. That's what my brother would say, or his mate would say to wind Mario up, and Mario would whack him across the back of the head. He'd give him a backhander, and and none of it hurt. None of it worried us. No, it was a, it was a laugh. Yeah, and um. And and Mario loved the the younger brother, so myself and my older brother, we would get um, make up stories about the younger brother. Was hey Mario, guess and I'm going to call him. I'm going to call him Gary again. <laughs> I don't know why Gary's taken hold here, but anyway, Gary number two, the little brother, would say, "Oh, guess what, Mario?" We'd say in front of mum and dad, "What? Well." Gary's been smoking down under the bridge, saw him with a packet of cigarettes, and he would jump up out of his chair and he'd hit us over the head and if he could get hold of something, he'd hit us with that. So this isn't even a relative. This is just a bloke up the road comes down and just beat you guys up. Yeah, yeah. He'd (laughs) come down all the time. We'd wind him up as much as possible. So So where was he living? Was he down towards Frithbridge, down that way, or down the old original... Joseph Holmes house sort of area. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, right next to the lane. Ah, I think I know what you mean. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. hilarious bloke. And um, one of my favourite stories with with Mario was um, uh, we 
we were going to work one day, heading up to Singleton. Yep. And Dad was driving his old uh, Valiant Ute. Mario was on one side. I was in the middle. And uh, Mario hated, hated being overtaken by any car. So he'd be, he'd be glaring at my father if a, any, if a car overtook us. He said, uh, "Rapping on, rapping on, come on, rapping on," which meant go faster. Yeah. And uh, I'll be sitting there. I'll be elbowing Mario. Say, Mario, Dad's gonna get overtaken again. He's look at me. A bloody die, you bloody idiot. He'd be angry. Anyway, so after the day finished and went back, I had a bit of a think about what I could do. So I said to Dad, Mario came over, he did the usual, no cream bun for you today, you've been bad boy, you've made up story about your, your brother, blah, 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 yeah, nothing for you today. I said, right over Mario. So he said, oh, Eddie, I must go home for a minute. I said, yeah, he's going home to get the cream buns. So uh, anyway, I, I waited for him to come back. I went out and um, I put planks took them down off the roof. They were in the back of the ute and up over the roof, as blokes do. And I put them sideways, across, so they're hanging out about three foot either side of the car. And um, I was waiting for Mario coming. Dad's looking, Dad and Mum were looking out the window, laughing their bloody heads off. And Mario saw me from 30 metres away and he had that bag up over his head ready to swipe me with it. And I was waiting for him to come, waiting. To, I say, Mario, Mario, no, no, no. He said, you bloody idiot, this is the most, can I swear? Yeah. This is the most fucking stupid thing you ever did, you fucking idiot. Why <laughs> your fucking father not teach you anything, you know nothing. I said, Mario, Mario, I did it all for you. What you talking you did for me? I said, oh, stop them bastards overtaking us, Mario. <laughs> so. Did he, he, um, I remember the, the cream buns especially, like, uh, the, there was, was that from the bakery up at Westie? The, the oh, yeah, he did all these bacon locals. So yeah. yeah, yeah he oh, he made them himself. No, no, he would have had the van, the old van used to drive past and, was he, and was deliver. He? Oh, right. I can't remember it. Can't remember the van. You're younger, see. No, I remember going into the the Westy Bakery, and that that was the thing: cream buns with a little jam spot on it. And they were the they were the bomb. They were pretty. Yeah, tasty. no, I think he used to buy them out the back of a van. Yeah. Used to come down, yeah. but anyway, possibly as time went by, the van stopped. Yeah, you, mate. Well, it was only recently that uh, you know, and we're talking maybe in the last five years that. Old Jim the fruitery has stopped his run, and that no longer happens in in the town where you got the fruit truck coming around. And poor Jim, I remember I used to have a yarn to him, and that like every other person, he said, "Mate, most blokes that work seven, eight hours a day." He said, "I'm doing fifteen hours a day," and I said, "Well, what's holding you up, Jim? Why is it taking you so long to get around and do your hours? Like, place ain't that big." He said, "Mate." I can't not stop and have a chat, everybody. Everyone wants a yarn. <laughs> he wouldn't finish at 10 o'clock. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone would tell him about, oh, the dog died or my missus split up, the missus, or he... poor old Jim was the local councillor. And, and, he, and he's, 
his truck was like 40 years old or something or other. Oh, it was, yeah, old Bedford or something and, like and, that. And yeah. it only had like 30,000 miles on it. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he only ever drove it to the market and, and around town sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, uh, it was a it was like stepping back in history, that old old van. It, I used to love it. Yeah, oh, I still remember he actually had had the lever blinker, you know, where the yep. hand come up on yeah, the, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. pull the lever. Yeah, I want one of those. And, and up come the hand to say left turn. There was no blinkers on it. I needed one of those the other week, actually, me old Mr. Bravo, but now it's deceased, so yeah, not you've, to worry. You've driven that car well into the dirt, haven't you? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I do to cars. Yeah. So um yeah so we grew up in this area and look one of the couple of the area was really good it produced a lot of really good sportsmen didn't it like back in the day too and even still to this day the sport was something that like kids kind of prided themselves on if you grew up you could be if you were good at something like whether it be golf or rugby league or cricket or soccer um you know it kind of sort of set you apart from the other kids in the area and I had a brother that was really well, really good at um at, at football and, you know, represented his uh, his country and his state and all that kind of stuff. And Kids sort of had a crack at anything, you know. It didn't matter how good or bad you were, you just had a crack. Well, it was, and, uh, it was yeah. a way of life there and it just seemed the norm where we were. So, you know, like uh, I grew up, you know, from a young kid playing soccer at Westy Bluebells through to, you know, playing junior soccer. And then mm. I remember I had a coach, uh, it was actually uh, Robbie, Robbie Green's brother. Oh, yeah, yeah, Stevie, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he turned Stevie, around and yeah. said to me, he goes, uh, mate, he goes, oh, I think you should go have a crack at the playing for the Magpies up there and that because as a soccer player, I started filling out and becoming a yeah. decent-sized lad and and I was a terrible soccer player. <laughs> I, was a ter- I was getting cards all the time with just nailing blokes and not being able to pull up in a tackle or no finesse. Yeah, you know. But yeah. I just want to touch on it, and, and you can help me here, a couple of the really good sportsmen that come out of our area. So... Kevin Kevy Curran, Keith Keith Curran, Keith Cummings, played for Australia. I know Curran, Kevy Curran. I think played for Australia soccer. Yeah, John Russell represent Australia for soccer. Mate, you've lost me on the soccer. Well, on the soccer thing, we sorry, had mate. we had a few others that like you know. Had, well, uh, Mick Dempsey played for under twenties for Australia. Australia, there you go. And maybe under 18s uh, as well. My I'm uncle sure. Merv Duff. Uh, went over and played in England, uh, played for Liverpool and another couple of sort of places over there. The younger brother Gareth made it out of West End, played in, in England in soccer for a little bit as Glenn well. Glenn Dewhurst was, uh, he was on Fox Sport and yep. all that sort of thing, wasn't he? Glenn? Yeah, Glenn, I think the Kaiser brothers as well. Um, the, they, obviously, I think it was uh, Kenny Kaiser played for Australia. Yeah, Kenny. Yeah, uh, yep, yep. So all all through the academy out there, and the and the soccer field back there was called they called it Wembley. Um, the, it was the name of the. It was just the nickname for it. It was um, Johnson Oval, I believe. A lot so. of these things have been pushed back in my mind. Yeah, but as you say them, it, it's all they spring to, spring up again. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of these sort of uh, these great players, but soccer was massive. It was a we had a you know a few, and even going back earlier than then, I couldn't actually name some, and I'd love to get. Um, a few of the, I'd love to get on a, someone to come in and actually talk about the old soccer days of, yeah, it'll it'll all be in the book, but talk about the old soccer days of West Walls End, and we're actually going to refer to a uh, to a book soon called Neath Mount Sugarloaf, and it might have a bit of history in there about old footballers and stuff like that. But rugby league was also massive, and uh, Captain Rusty and I both played together many, many, many years ago uh, in the local side. 
Yeah, so on that topic of uh, uh, of soccer and that in the area and the proud history we have of soccer, Carl's just pulled up an article in uh, in a book called Neath Mount Sugarloaf, which is a bit of a chronicle to our hometown. And there's something that I, I actually I do remember basically looking at a while back. But tell us about it, Carl. It's back in the day when a particular team beat an international side. Can you elaborate on that a bit more? Well, um, I'm just reading here on the 21st of May, 1927, Oh, this is Newcastle played China, defeating the visitors 7-2. West Wells End, West Wells End was well prepared on the 23rd of July. Clary Coots, captain the third test against China. That's right, Clary Coots. He's another one that represents... Well, he's captained Australia, yeah. Carrying the game to a one-all draw. Newcastle played Czechoslovakia at Hobart Park on 21st June 1927, winning 5-2. Geez, you think Czechoslovakia would have been all right back in the day? Well, I think sort of soccer took kind of a, a downturn for a lot of years. Between the wars. Between the wars, yeah. I mean, it was obviously a big game between the European sort of uh, immigrants that come out, you know, but but a lot of them have moved on. And, and rugby league was sort of a massive one around the Hunter Valley, Newcastle area, and probably the number one game. But then, I don't know, soccer's competed pretty well in the Hunter Valley. Yeah, well, um, I've just pulled up here at West Walls M3, Canada nil. It was in 1920. So there couldn't have been too bad a side. But you're just saying on the, on the rugby league, um, a lot of people don't know, and, you know, we're in AFL territory over here, but the longest-running competition is the Diamond Cup in, uh, in the Hunter Valley. That is the longest um, ongoing AFL competition, well, I can say in the world, can't I, really? Well, yeah, I mean, so the Diamond Cup. Now, who can just off the top of your head, can you name us a couple of sides that might play in that Diamond Cup? Warners Bay were always very strong. Um, so, so AFL. So this, hang on, that. So you're saying that's older than the VFL? No, 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 no. It's but it's it's been played continuously. That that competition has never been disrupted. Ah, oh, right. That clarifies it a lot because. Uh, so that, that competition within the Newcastle uh, Australian Rules competition has been running longer than any other type of competition because, yeah. of course, the VFL changed to the AFL. Yeah, that's right. There's and, been and, changes. Yeah. But um, they kicked off through the uh, through the gold miners and that sort of um, throwing their tools away or carting their tools up to the Hunter Valley and uh, getting into the coal game. Um, AFL followed them up. So that was... Um, Probably, well, that was definitely played there before rugby league. Because rugby league wasn't even invented. No, it was invented later on in what, can you remember roughly what year? 1895. Right. So, you know, Aussie rules was well established by then. Yep. There's a, um, I know there's a team at Taralba now as well, which I think Glendale moved. Did you um, know how AFL come about? Did you, have, you, have you ever actually gone into, and I suppose we're taking a big step because we are in AFL territory, but the question I've got is, do you know what, you know what Marne Grook is? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Marne yeah Grook that was, was just a jump on the bandwagon. You think so? Yeah, absolutely. You don't think that Marne Grook had a bit to do with the, or do you think it was I've, more just 100% influence from the Gaelic football that the Irish played? One of my fondest memories was um, was having you as a young fella. You would have been about four or five, and uh, kid lived a couple of couple of doors down. Um, 
You were a bigger build than him. He had two years on you. I think and it was closer to four. Was it? Mm. Oh, right. Okay. Dana, Dana, which is his sister, had two years on me. And his name was Paul. So he had, I think, closer to four, possibly five. Oh, wow. But he he was a quite tapered man. Yeah, slender. Slender lad, yeah. Um, a nice fella. Great guy. Great guy. Yeah. But we used to um, match us up for a bit of a wrestle yep. down, down the back paddock. Now, the, the back paddock encompassed two paddocks, really. There was the back paddock right behind where I lived. And then there was the back paddock where Mario lived. And um, so the back paddock where I lived, um, which was sort of your back paddock as well, uh, we would get you and and young Paul to have a bit of a wrestle on that. And, you know, if anyone got on top, we'd, we'd break it up and well done, boys, and blah, blah, blah. And by the time you were 10 and he was 14 or something, you were well and truly getting on top of him. And I hope he doesn't mind us talking about this, but um, you were well and truly on top of him by the time you were 10 and he was like 14 type of thing. And um, But sport then was down the back paddock, cricket, soccer, rugby league. I can't remember ever playing AFL down there, but... Foursome back was um, was something we played a lot. Was that where we kicked the ball and you got to like you punt the ball and you got to basically you got to line yeah, and you yeah, got to yeah, get yeah. them back behind the line. So if they mark the ball behind the line, then that, that's a point to us. Or, yeah. So yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I, I love that game. That sort of that came back through the the rugby union because rugby union used to be a hell of a lot of kicking. Yep. And that's why a lot of the, the words in rugby union and AFL. Um, are very similar. They have the uh, they have the ruck, they have the the line out, and they yep. have the uh, the mark of the ball and all those sorts of things. Yep. Um, but there was also boxing. We we would play rugby league for a couple of hours, sort of thing, and then it was you know, any size didn't matter what size you were. You just jumped on and had a game. Yep. And then it was down to the horse stables, and it was boxing with the boxing gloves down there waiting. The horses would clear out and we'd get in there and your name was picked out of a hat and you'd say, righto, um, Captain Rusty, you're fighting such and such today and then you'd go and he might be three or four years older than you and a, a lot better. Yep. And if he started to towel you up too much, they just say, all right, that's enough, that's it, enough, yeah, that's enough. enough. Yeah. And um, But that was all, all good fun. And again. I do remember partaking in some of those and, and I must admit it's amazing – what you learn at a very early age, I mean, I'm talking five, six, seven, 12, 13, you know what I mean? Yeah. Those skills that you learn through just boxing and all that kind of stuff prepared me in older life to not panic when I had like some bloke throwing them at you, you know what I mean? Like you didn't panic. You'd been there, you had that training from when you were young. I'm not saying I'm a boxer or am I trained in boxing, nowhere near it. However, it taught me not to get hit. Like how to move your head and simple things, you know what I mean? Like, or if someone's winding up to throw one at you, you don't stare at them. You, you obviously get off the centre line. and help you understand that you could, um, you could handle situations that you first thought were too big for you. Absolutely. And especially with, like, I, I, you know, even if we talk about bullying for a second, it, we, we, ha we did have bullies in our hometown. I'm yeah, sure you did. suffered from it. It was just a natural progression. But, I mean, I remember the golf course was, like, the place – we had a golf course close to where we're at, and we had um, 
like a hierarchy at this golf course because we'd all go f- looking for golf balls. Yeah, and you sell had, them. And you'd go to sell the sell the balls back to old, old man Jono and that, and you'd, you know, enough for a pie and a Coke. And, mate, you'd be sort of, you know, you'd sometimes pull out, you know, 30, 40, 50 golf balls in a in a good session. Mm. Makes you sort of tell us a bit about the golfers around the town. <laughs> shit, well, shit. for quite a while, he he really hated you you being in there. Yeah, and um, he had the shotgun. He had the shotgun and he filled it. Filled well, it, it was with actually salt. yeah, fill it with salt. He had salt. He had salt yeah, pellets. Salt. Pe- well, he, and, no, he'd actually just pack a cartridge. Yeah. Instead of because you you could. Yeah, that's pack, what I mean. Yeah, and you'd you'd pack it instead of the pellet. You'd have just he'd just fill it full of salt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that blast of that. salt, yeah, would sting you. I remember, yeah, I've got, I've got one off John. So he he would drive around his his car, and he'd see you in the, uh, in the creek or whatever. Can you imagine that today? And he, he'd pull a shotgun out and shoot you with Can it. Can you imagine that today? If someone pulls out a shotgun, points it hilarious. At, points it at a kid and shoots them with salt pellets. That was hilarious, wasn't it? <laughs> Different kids would be sitting, they'd be saying, "Oh, I've got shot up the ass." You'd have a little. Like, all, you, all you'd have is a rash. You'd, you'd have this little rash on your ass or on the back of your leg or yeah. in the middle of your back or wherever he got you. My brother put a, put a rock in a slug gun and put it on my knee and went bang, shot me with it. He, <laughs> I said, "What do you do that for?" He said, "One serve it hurt." I remember I threw well, a dart. Did. At my, I threw a dart at my brother because he pissed me off, and I remember that dart just it just plunked itself straight in there like a needle. It just didn't come out. <laughs> And he ran to he ran to mum with a dart hanging out of his shoulder or something like that, where I just hurled this dart at him and he's been a pain in the ass or something like that. And he kept getting in the way, running in front of the dartboard while I was trying to play darts. And yeah, I, was, I just hit him, hit him, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, like today we've sort of we've moved on. We're like, I just can't imagine anyone from a golf course or anyone from a business that wanted to get rid of kids. I mean, this day and age, you wouldn't have kids in the dams fishing for golf balls because well, that's right. They're, you'd have security gaming. kicking them out. Yeah, you know, that's, that's all right. the liability if they drown on my golf course. You know, I, I feel sorry for kids now. I really do. And, and here's something about the golf course that this takes it to a whole new level. We used to wait till it was flooding, mm. and and it was basically water cascading through this golf course because we knew certain areas where it would push balls into a certain yeah, particular it was like, area. Like and panning for gold. It was like panning for gold. You'd have all these golf balls in a particular area yeah, yeah, yeah. and you'd have um you'd 20, have to and you'd have 20 kids waiting to pounce on them yeah exactly <laughs> you know so you'd have like all those kids like, and, and but this is getting back to where i was going with the bully thing like you'd have the hierarchy of guys that that was their damn mm. and and i remember being told by i can't remember his name now i think his surname was andrews or something like that no, wasn't andrews uh, andrews uh, i know i remember he was a gingerheaded fella stocky bloke he had two older brothers and he said to me, he was in, say, let's say he was in year six and I was in year four, a few years on me and that. He goes, if you go into that dam, I'll, I'll bash you. All right. So I was like, oh, all right. So, of course, I waited till he walked away and me and my mate Scott, we jumped in that dam and we cleaned that dam out. We got, we knew underneath a telegraph pole or what it felt like a telegraph pole. Underneath there, if you grab the pole and, and work your way down, that underneath a certain area of that pole, there's going to be a whole pile of golf balls. We knew it was there every mm-hmm. time. Every time they got a rain, we knew that oh, it's piled up golf balls there. So, and I think this guy, we're not sure if he knew that that's where the golf balls were, but he, he knew that that was producing a lot of golf balls, that particular hole. And I think if you know the course, it was, I think it was the, the tee off from the fifth up over the creek and up the hill to the top. Towards where the houses mm-hmm. are at the top of Holmesville. Yep. So we we would get those balls of that, and he said, "Oh, that's it. I'm gonna." And he, I, I, I remember, 
he he came back to to, to and I was scared. Like he was a bigger, way bigger than I was, and yeah. and I remember running, and I was a shit. I've never been a fast runner, and he caught me pretty quick. And he'd hit me in the back of the back, in the middle of the bat, and then I'd keep running. He'd catch up again, and he'd go to hit me again, and I'd get a bit of distance again. I think I would have ran about three kilometres around the course, <laughs> not wanting to relinquish my golf balls and that, because he just said, "I'm going to bash you, get me golf balls." And but we had this whole hierarchy of of stuff like that. And, and now I look back on it, without that, and the parents didn't interfere. Nothing, no one interfered, and without that learning, like it set me up for bullies today, but. You know, like, like, and it also taught the bullies back then. The bullies got their comeuppance, yeah, from other kids. Eventually, yeah, they right. would get their comeuppance. Yeah, there's always someone bigger and better, you know. Or, or even I'll talk about a situation with me where uh, um, a kid came to school in year ten and he grabbed my next door neighbour and throttled him up against the wall and you know bashed his head against the wall and down he dropped. And he did that to several other kids, the, the popular kids. He did it to the popular kids, which I wasn't one. And um, anyway, uh, he, he he went round terrorising everybody. Everyone was scared of him. I'd heard about him. I hadn't really met the bloke until we were walking into uh, our metalwork class. He said, hey, your name, Captain Rusty? <laughs> I said, yeah. You want to fight? I said, no, not really. I hated bloody fighting. Yeah. He said, it hurts. Yeah, it does hurt. <laughs> Bottom line, fights, he, always, they and hurt. He, and, and he said, <laughs> yeah, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I want to fight. Um, no one else will fight me. And someone someone told me, um, one of the Isaac boys, Tony <laughs> Isaac told him, Captain Rusty will fight you. Yep. Like I was only, well, not a big bloke, but I used to fight. My older brother all the time, and I used to, you know, was, he's not little. He's not little, and you know, we did all the boxing down the back paddock and all the rest of it. So I thought I thought I was well, <laughs> well armoured. You're good to go. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I just wasn't going to let a bully come in and take over the school because that's what he was doing, and, and and the bigger guys were all scared of him. I thought, well, I'm at least going to put up a fight. And um, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier about. Um, people having the courage of their convictions and that sort of thing. And I'm not saying I'm a hero and I'm, I'm not saying I'm the bravest person on the planet. They are a lot braver than me. But because of my upbringing, I was able to say, yeah, I'm going to take this guy on. I know he's going to hurt me, but I don't care. He's not taken over the school. Yep. And um, we we sat down we, six weeks. In six weeks, we're going to train for six weeks. Then we're going to have a fight. So was that organised? Was it organised? So you were going to go do some training? Yep. We said we have six weeks training. And where was this fight going to take place? Down the equestrian grounds at Holmesville. Right. And um, I go back home now and there, there must have been 20,000 people there because everyone <laughs> I talked to says they were there. Yeah. At, uh, there were probably, you know, probably 100 kids there sort of thing waiting. They, were, they made their own little arena sort of thing. Oh, I'm starting to think I might... Like, I know a lot of people say they were there, but I think I vaguely remember this. I think, how old? How much older are you than me? Well, I'm 57. Right. I would have been 16. Mm. I do I know that that was the place where these kinds of things went down. 
you know what I mean? There was a couple of things went there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, continue, sir. So anyway, yeah. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, COVID. But um, yeah, so anyway, six weeks, we went into training and. I sort of got to know him a little bit over the six weeks and we didn't have any harsh words to say to each other. We didn't say, oh, I'm going to kill you or any of that. We went to our classes and there you go, mate, and blah, blah, blah. But yeah. you knew this fight was on the whole time. Yeah. This is really cool. Yeah, keep going. How's your training going? Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> and uh, and it was uh, the, the weekend of the fight and I see you on Sunday. So, yeah, see you Sunday, 10 o'clock, whatever it was. And we went down there and we got stuck into each other, man. Geez, we got stuck into each other. Really bugger. You know, you can see my, my fist there. That's from the top of his head. And um, So you broke those knuckles that you're showing me now, which are obviously clearly been broken at some point. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yep. Push, push that one back into my hand. Yep. And uh, that was on the top of his head. That was like 15 minutes into it. We were really going for each other. So this is a proper slog. Oh, yeah. A, yeah this is this is like Irish Irish pikey. Yeah, it was like, like the Irish, old... Irish traveller fighting sort of... Yeah, uh, bare-knuckle boxing sort yeah, of thing. Yeah. Which, and, and I'll give it to him, um, he was he was very fair in that regards. There was no, no kicking. We had our rules, no kicking. If you went down, you were allowed back up. You, no one dived on top of the other bloke. So this guy was new to school. He was new to school. And um, he he was obviously trying to establish himself. Yeah, he wanted a reputation. Yeah, yep. And um, anyway, at the at the end of it, um, I kept throwing punches with this right hand of mine, even though it was killing me. Yep. And, uh, you know, I wasn't going to stop. And a couple of the older boys jumped in and they said, stop, stop, stop. You're going to kill each other. Wake up. Come on, stop, boys. Stop, stop, stop. We didn't want to stop. We we were ready to fight them sort of thing, you know, for the, for a minute. Yep. And then common sense sort of did take hold of us and, and we did stop and they told him to get going and and I, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I stopped and I sat down for a minute and I had a drink of water and they said, oh, they're going to have a game of rugby league now. On the equestrian grounds, over I limped. I limped over there. I was ready to play rugby league. I made about two tackles, and I was absolutely stuffed. I was exhausted. He'd he'd hurt me pretty bad. And um, anyway, I went. I went home, and, and I was just about to ask what happened when you went home. I, w I went home, and, uh, and Dad looked at me. He said, "You've been fighting, son." I said, "Nope." What have you been bloody doing then? He said, we had a very rough game of rugby league, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> did he take that as an answer? Yeah, he did. He knew I was lying, but, yeah. you know, he wasn't going to take it any further with me. He, he yeah. knew I was being a boy. Yeah. And uh, and the the thing is, and and this is a bit of a cliche, but the thing is we did become good mates. Yep. We did become good mates after that. He joined up. I said, "Come and join us." At the, I said, "What are you doing this for?" We met up on the Monday. Went to, went to school, and I'm there all bandaged up, and he's got black eyes, and I got black eyes, and he's you know his ears had been bloody bleeding. Yeah. And um, I said, "Why'd you come to this school?" I said, "You don't have to do that. Why don't you just be a mate?" Yeah. And he did. That's what he did. He, he instead of overtaking the school, he became a mate and realised he'd done the wrong thing. 
He said, one thing for more, uh, for sure, I'm never fighting you again. <laughs> and, you know, that, yeah. that doesn't make me a hero, as I said before. It doesn't make me a hero or anything, but that's how things were handled. And were, that's, things were handled like that long before me. I mean, there's a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I grew up seeing it and seeing rifts between blokes and they'd sort it out. And, look, I'd love to say that, you know, that's the way it should be, but I guess it's hard if you've got to... I'm seeing this whole thing now about people jumping in and, and it's just unsafe, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, yeah, yep. it's unsafe. It's mate, a shame, as I and, say. And I you know, I, I worked on doors for years and, and there was a lot of action on working on doors. Mm. But the reason I left, and I'll be honest, I was left because I, I feared for my safety. Mm. And early days when we're talking about not just the era that you're talking about, at the end of that era is when I started. And mm. if someone had a gripe... Knives were coming out then. It, not only, and, and the drugs changed and everything changed, yep. but the whole ball game changed. But if we had an issue with a bloke, it, we could either have the discussion or at worst it would come to a knuckle. Mm. And that's all it would be. Mm. And it would be like the old Jewsby rules. Hands mm. up, no kicking, you know. And then, believe it or not, shake hands when you're done and accept, you know, like, and it's... You can see it on videos now. The the Irish have been doing it for years. They accept, you know, you accept defeat. The better man mm. won. Good mm. on you. You swallow your pride, you know. And but not only that, you didn't continue to gloat mm. after that as well. And there's all the shaming and all that kind of stuff. Now, the word I'm going to say that brings all this down, and I'm sure you're going to agree with me, is repercussion for one's actions. Yeah, exactly. Where today you don't have the repercussions for your actions socially. So if you're going out being a clown, some bloke would just knock you back a peg. Hmm. He'd give you a warning, uh, do it again, he'd chin you. You'd end up looking like a goose. You're either embarrassed and left or mm -hmm. you sucked it up. I'm sure some of that still and does happen. But continued um, on particularly in, the, in your regional towns. I think maybe, but it, as far as large areas go or, or as we as we develop, I think it's all starting to disappear. Yeah, well, there's been a lot of different, um, I'm going to say the word, cultures come into it and, you know, they've had a different way of handling things and, and that's just come in. That's that's natural. And I guess what is natural too is the reason it was like that is that Australia predominantly was Irish convicts. Mm. So so that culture has followed well, through for a few generations. Mm. Now that generation's been watered down and there's, mm. you know, the, that lineage of the Irish sort of bare-knuckle culture has disappeared and it's become that, you know, cult, like you're saying, from other countries which don't handle it like well, that. Well, bo boxing had its had its rules and uh, and you stuck to those rules. It was, you know, it wasn't really about hate. I'm sure sometimes it was. I'm pretty sure there's a there's a, a massive hate factor <laughs> when when you're wanting to crown some bloke. You know what I mean? So, so well, not always. You don't, you don't do it because you liked him. You know. No, well, I, I didn't. I didn't hate this chap who I had the fight with. But I'll just bring this up now while I'm thinking of it. Now. As I say, we, we became mates and with my background, I've spoken about my father and his upbringing and, you know, he was beaten up by his stepmother and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I learned about that and I became interested in, in child wel welfare through that. And I, went, I, and I asked him, I said, why did you do this? And he told me that his, um, his father used to beat him up, you know, when he was drinking. And so, oh, okay, and I've had a lot of this in my life and I've had other 
males and females come and tell me their stories. I don't know why. I've got this beacon on the head that says, come and tell me your story of how you were, you know, beat up or whatever when you were a kid. Yep. But that's 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 been something that's been ongoing. But we'll I'll leave that for another podcast another day. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, it's another whole yeah area to dive into. Hmm. Yeah. So I mean, we um we're pretty lucky now, Captain Rusty. We we had that love of of rugby league, which is obviously a rough and tumble game. How would you say that? Playing that game and and having that physical contact and because there's, I, I guess I'll, what the point I'm trying to make is is that with with rugby league there's nowhere to hide. Do you know what I mean? And and we talk about in socially being accountable for your actions. Mm. The same applies. It's it's kind of like it's it's one of the most brutal games I've ever I've ever had the experience to play. Um, in saying that, I, I I still tell people it's probably one of the most brut, brutal sports. You know, there are a few that top it, you know, like there's um, a couple in Italy. UFC. And, uh, yeah, UFC, of course, boxing and all that can be kind of a lot more harsh than that. But it still has the room, and especially when we played, it had the room for, and I'm going to say controlled violence is probably the word I want to use, where if you had the choice, you had the choice as to whether you make a, a, an effective tackle where you just stop the guy moving forward, which is the, the what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Or you make a tackle where you could really jam a bloke and hurt him. So the conscious decision was yours when you went into a tackle. Mm-hmm. However, I admit that when I played, I liked to rattle a bloke as hard as I could because it was a it was a big dick competition for me. When I was out there, it was like, I want to be the big bloke in the yard and I want to be this guy and, and not seen as soft and blah, 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 because I knew I never had the skills to be a, the other type of bloke. So... Do you think that that has guided you through life? Do you think because oh, I I think absolutely. With if you're saying you're a very skillful tackler, I must admit you you had a, a knack of bringing someone down, and that was again through backyard stuff and yep. the back paddock. Yep. All that was through that, and I hated anyone big. Well, I hated anyone beating me at anything. Mm-hmm. Very and, competitive. Um, and, and I think that's the result of growing up with with two other siblings, with brothers, that are, and all the rest of it, with, who are who are highly. I mean, I know one of them really well. The other one, okay, but and the one I know really well is I know he's a very, very, very probably one of the most competitive men I've ever. You're I've, not wrong. I've ever, I've ever met. <laughs> he he will fight to the death over a marble game. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. very competitive, you know, and I've seen that in him. And and, and it look, it took him to heights that he would never reach without that competitive nature. So mm. he was very good at cricket too, actually. Yeah. Good, very good batsman. Yep. And, uh, I was, I was okay with spin bowling, but, um, leg spin. Yep. Craft. It's a it's craft. A craft. It's a craft. But yeah. So you, you, you'd apply that as like, when you get in situations where, have you ever looked at a person and been dealing with a person that has never played a, a contact sport, and I, I struggle with this daily, where they want to assert themselves on you or assert their nature upon you, mm-hmm. um, have never played a – you can see well within them that if push came to shove, and I know this is getting back to a bit of a Cro-Magnon approach to things, but where push come to shove, you tell them, you know what I mean? But 
through their, and I'm, is it, I don't know if it's naivety or that they assert themselves on you in a certain way. And I struggle with how to deal with it. You know what I mean? How to, because uh, I, I don't want to use pretty words. I just want to knock their block off and it's bad. But Yeah. I, I became a lot more diplomatic after my, my big fight, particularly. Yep. I became more diplomatic after that. Yep. And, um, when when you take it back to the the rugby league days, um, and you're talking about being out there, for me, it was freedom. It's absolute freedom. There were certain rules, but it was the freest place you could be without absolutely being turning into a maniac. Well, it took me back to schoolyard days in primary school where mm. we used to run around the oval just like kicking each other and punching each other and playing this weird game as to whoever had the ball you'd bash. Mm. And it was this free-for-all thing that teachers didn't quite get, but they tried to keep a lid on it. And then when you grew up, it kind of felt similar for me that rugby league was kind of that kind of thing as well. It was your escape. It was my escape. And it, it, it helped me as a male that come through. And I was a, I was a male with, a, I guess, a lot of testosterone in my 20s. I was a rather large lad, like um, quite a heavy set boy that, you know, and I... I struggled with things like how to deal with bending with, over, bending over, and yeah, in the shower. But no, I struggled to deal with a lot of stuff. But it it gave me my release, and it actually gave me my chance to take out that aggression and to channel that aggression. And it, it leveled me. I was a different guy when I was playing rugby league to what I am now. I get frustrated now, and I get pent up now, and I get you know wound up on certain things where you know I can't sort of take it out. I guess a form of exercise or whatever would do that, but. Have you used it as a channel? To well, going through my my toughest years, I'm I'm sure I wouldn't have made it through without without the game. Yep. Um, it really steeled my resolve, and as I say, I was never going to be beaten, and um, and I was the same when when life got tough for me, and it got very tough, I was able to handle it because of the sport. Sporting background, not just rugby league, all the stuff, the backyard stuff, and that. I was very well. I'm still very resilient. Was it was it the exertion through the football game itself, or was it the surrounding encompassing structure around it, like your friends, the training? Was it that more so that that helped with that, or was it more the the actual release and the physical release of that eighty minutes of football? It was both, but a, a lot of it was just the the physical exertion and being able to push myself. Um, harder than I thought I could. Yep. There was a lot of that in it. And um, and breaking the rules a little bit sometimes. Well, there was a bit of dirty up. Uh, a bit of breaking the rules sometimes and and in certain situations, that's what you do. Yeah. Sometimes, I, and I'm not going to go into particulars, but I broke some rules, I, I broke some laws that needed breaking. Um, because Are we talking outside of football here? Outside or? of football, yep. yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking outside of football. Yep. I, I broke some laws that needed breaking um, for me to find the truth. And to me, the truth was always more important than rules and regulations. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a lot of people might find that uh, a bit disturbing or whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I'm certainly not a, a, a criminal. Did you break rules on the football park? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying before, that I did break rules on the football park. So when you're saying um, those rules, I mean, are we talking... Uh, bending the rules. Yep. 
bending the rules. Um, I know I, that the position you played uh, required you to scrummage, which was, you know, when the two packs come together and they scrummage for the ball. More so back in the earlier days of football than today, you just see him pass the ball through, and it. Uh, I, I, it's beyond me why scrums are like that today, but. Um, and you played the hooking role, which actually it was your job to to rake the ball back and get it to your side. And and there was a let's just talk about a few of those rules. Like you you weren't allowed to sort of obviously to shin blokes, which is where you put your studs mm. up and and you know rake mm. on people's shins. Mm. Or you know a couple of hookers like to, as the as the pack went in, that you'd find a a swift right hand or a left hand come up and bop you in the you know. And it was all part of the game. It was as, part of the as you know, Joe. My, my natural nature is really passive yep. and, and soft. Yeah. And I only got into rugby league because my next-door neighbour happened to be the coach and he stuck his head over. He said, do you want to, Captain Rusty, do you want to play soccer or do you want to play rugby league? Well, I didn't have a clue. Yep. So I, I spoke to my older brother. He said, play rugby league. So I said, rugby league. He said, I'm your coach. Was so, he playing at that time? No. No. So he I wasn't was, either. You I was the first, first one. to play. First one in the family wow. to play. Wow. And that was only through accident. And... Um, and yeah, he was a very gentle guy as well. Our next door neighbour was a very gentle man as well. Yep. But um, when I got out on the field, and we all know the, the term white line fever or whatever, when I when when I got out on the field, I was out there. That's what I was doing, and um, and I loved it, and it was good for me. Yeah, it was bad for me in other ways, you know. So in, in a way, and whatnot. For what you say there, and it does correlate with your nature. So you're sort of. You've gone and bent these rules, and I have known for things to happen. You're probably more on the receiving end in that in that scrummage, and than sort of you know throwing it out there. But well, I wasn't but, a dirty but, but player. I know, but I know, I know that you would have definitely throughout the whole time that you play, and that was your major position throughout your career. But you you would have done it at some point purely to win, or purely to because it needed that at that point of time. To, to change the game. Yeah, or yes, to, there was a bit of that, and there was or a, if your forwards aren't firing up and they're not they're not running hard, and they you know that can change a game it and payback. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. payback. There's always payback. Yep. Um, I, I guess one one of the things I used to do when I was tackling, if it was a, a big guy that was I was having trouble with, um, I would pull him down on top of me, so I'd grab him by the above yep. his chest on his chest I grabbed the shirt on his chest and I would drag him on purposely on top of me which might sound dangerous and then I would stick one knee in his solar plex so he all his weight would come down on my knee so he'd, he'd go oh yep. and he, he would roll off and and then I would sometimes I would um I would put my studs just on the corner of his shirt so he couldn't get up yeah, yeah if anyone's ever been hitting the solar plex it takes the wind out of you it's it's a horrible spot to be hit. Yeah. 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 So, right in the know. diaphragm there. Wow. So I'm not actually proud of that now <laughs> when I talk about it, but but that was that was back back then and, it, and, yeah. and this is now and, and I mean we've uh, got things like chicken wings and stuff like that now in the game that you know that it's a kind of it's a version of that where you you know you're causing a bit of you you want to put in the mind of that guy not to run at you again. That's you know, right. And that's the whole idea of it. And that's and, and, that's me when I like to try and put on a big shot, it was like to say that guy, but then that would frustrate me too because without that guy running at me, man, I had to try and chase him around the park yeah. and tackle him. And, or chase a winger. Yeah, he'll do something crazy like that. So I didn't get a chance to actually put that shot on. But um, yeah, mate, it's a, it's it, I kind of 
and I don't know if you'll agree with me here, but I find that people that have, and I've got a few close mates that have really sort of been in AFL for a long time as well, and we have got similarities. I mm. mean, the game's different. We like to call them sort of, you know, aerial ping pong exponents and, you know, poofs and all this shit. And they give, like to call us thugs and Thugs blah, and all this, you know, we give each yeah. other a hard time. But the camaraderie we've got, and it's a, it boils down to having someone that has played a team sport, it, it shapes you as a person. And I find... Those kind of blokes can handle a bit of banter. They can handle a bit of, you know, like me calling you a dickhead and it's like water off a duck's back. And, they can have fun. And, and we can even actually arc up at each other and, and get to the point where it's not going to knock your block off, blah, 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 and it settles down. Two minutes later, we're having a beer. I actually... I uh, people who who haven't done that and haven't experienced that team are very difficult people to work with. Yeah, yeah. They're impatient and um, and they, they're not resilient enough and they sometimes turn to water. Yeah, so and, if any uh, parents are out there listening, get your kids into team sport because it builds them up as a, as as, as learning how to get on with people, and it, you're going to go through highs and low, but they've actually got that support the whole time around their teammates, and it's a great way for kids to to grow up. But it's we, we had it's disappearing. Kids, parents aren't doing it anymore. We had kids. Uh, I remember one kid in particular who who ended up suiciding, but there were there were. Some of the kids involved in rugby league were were coming from really poor backgrounds, very poor backgrounds, and and rugby league was the only thing, their only escape. You know, they were no good at school, they were no good at home in their parents' eyes, and all the rest of it, and they got their their nurturing through through playing team sports. And uh, when you talk about the Aussie Rules guys and that, I um I helped out for a couple of years with uh, disabilities, um, Aussie rules here in WA and um, and also with an under-15s and under-16s. So all sports are good, mate. All sports are good. Yeah, Get into it. Soccer, help. rugby leagues, even rugby union. <laughs> I don't like to say it, but even that, rugby I could union. See the, I could see the pain in your face when you said uh, <laughs> rugby union. <laughs> You've been heaping on the union for years. Yeah, yeah I'll keep it up too. <laughs> You've been giving them a flogging for absolutely as long as I can remember. But hey, my, my brother yep. is a story of, of cheating. Um, <laughs> my brother, actually, I'll take it back a bit. One of the, one of our mates, he played in the local um, Glendale rugby league club for a few years. He was one year below me. The mighty gorillas. The gorillas, and his name was Dean. Um, don't say his name. Yep. But he, yeah, good, tough player, Dean. Very good, very good. Good 5'8". Yep. And um, anyway, I saw this bloke hold him down on the ground for bloody ages, and he was pushing him in the face all the time and everything. I'm looking at the ref. I'm looking at the ref. I'm looking at the ref. When are you going to do something about this? Anyway, it's still going on, so I won't even clock this bloke. Anyway, off. Yep. I got sent straight off. Anyway, I went into the judiciary on the, I think it was a Wednesday night, and I got chatting to the bloke who I'd hit. He had this big egg on his head. I said, I said, I can't bloody believe that I'm in here. I said, it was my brother that hit you. He said, was it really? I said, yeah, it was my bloody younger brother who smacked you in the head. It wasn't me. I was nowhere near you. And so it was he, you, though. It was me. <laughs> and he went into, into the judi judiciary and he said that this wasn't, it wasn't him. That's and I got away with it. That's brilliant. I know. <laughs>
Is this the Dean that I know that played with us? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Played 5'8". I didn't know that. I thought he was always a center or a uh, winger. Yeah, no, no, no. He's, he was a good little 5'8". Yep. Back in the day. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was... That was I, I remember that nice particular Dean. Ones. Just to paint a picture, the Dean that we're talking about was a... He grew up... He was a fairly handsome lad. And, yeah, uh, good-looking boy. The girls kind of liked Dean. And, and he... Um, he He's not a violent man by nature. No. Especially his brother. Especially his brother. But uh, I remember he, he received some... I've never seen him actually retaliate outwards. Uh, and I, I remember seeing him getting some treatment, you know, like mm. from a few players that I'd give him a bit of raspberry. Mm. And he, he'd... I've never seen him get angry or, or raise up or, you know... Or... No. And, and again, he, he went through a hell of a lot of stuff, very emotional, emotionally hard stuff, um through marriage and all that sort of thing and and um, I'm sure that all helped him through that too, that, to keep himself calm. And that, uh, that, that, that family surrounding and that the family surrounding and but but also when you when you go into these heightened emotional states which you get into when you're playing a contact sport, yep. you get into those and you learn to level them out as well. Well yeah. a lot of people do. Some never learn to level it out and they go out there and they just get sent off every game. You know the sort of people I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. But um, if if you play the game long enough and you, you learn to control that and level it out, it's really a great tool for life to, to be able to handle anything that's thrown at you and say, okay, I'm just going to lower my level here and yep. I'm, I'm going to relax, yep. I'm going to live my life and things will sort out somewhere down the track. And, and I saw him and I've seen others too who have gone through a bit of, a bit of nonsense and, uh, and they've been able to handle it well. I'm not saying only because of rugby league, but I'm sure rugby league or a team sport has played a big part in it. Yeah, for sure. And look, not only that, I'm going to throw this topic out there and it's going to be the last one before we wrap up. Um, obviously I'll, I'll be here editing for uh, three months, but the, and in regards to what we've talked about and, and, you know, being a man growing up, having a sort of rough and tumble sort of upbringing and all that kind of stuff, men's mental health is something that you and I both care a lot about. And um, I've used this podcast a few times to talk about some pretty serious topics. Um, and the mental health side of things, I think when you've got that support network, and look, we've both been out of that game for both of us for a good 15 years, I think going close to that sort of period of time. I think my last game was 2005, so 2007 for yourself. Well, seven years you've been out, so it's easy you played a lot longer than me, oh, mate. But then, <laughs> then again, I was doing the tough stuff. You were fucking prancing around. Yeah, around right. Yeah, doing all that. But um, we, we've been been sort of out of the game for a while, and, and, and I've I've missed that, you know, the the bonding with the male mates and all the yeah. camaraderie yeah. and all that. I Obviously. don't get it at work because of the type of workplace I'm mm. in. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't exist there. It's actually quite toxic. I, it's quite the opposite. I, I get a bit. I get a bit where yeah. I work and but, uh, some nice fellas there. Yeah, but I've I found it in music. Um, mm. I found that uh, uh, the boy. You need the boys. You need the the blokes. That, and even uh, I had a rehearsal last night, and I just got a heap of shit off my chest with the boys about you know things going on in my life, and you know. The, all the ups and downs and not knowing what's going on with this COVID and just everything's a mess at the moment. But it was good to have those fellas to bounce off. Now, those guys that don't have that, you know, like it, it must be 
mm. very hard for, for look, men are men. And I, I don't care how often you say it, women, I don't care how many degrees you got, will never get to truly understand the psyche of blokes. And I don't expect for us to expect the same from women. You can you can know a lot, but you'll never truly. And why I say mm. truly? Because you're not one. Oh, well, that's right. Of course. You know. So, what things? I mean, do you do you think that that men they need to find a, a group or something that? Well, you know, I'm on. I only have one group on Facebook. I don't have several, but there's several I belong to. Um, a bloke's advice is quite good. I find it. Very light-hearted. Yep. A, lot, a lot of the time it's light-hearted. A lot of really funny stuff, which, you know, my missus doesn't find it funny at all. She finds it disgusting, and I'm not talking about sexual stuff. I'm talking about other stuff. But anyway, um, she finds it quite disgusting, but the guys get on there and they talk about stuff that they want to talk about and be fouler than the other bloke and yep. and make each other laugh. And and we even had, had a, uh, which was quite good and I was surprised how many guys got in and posted there was a one on ghosts how many how many blokes have seen ghosts and there was hundreds and hundreds it'd be over a thousand saying, so, saying that they've seen they've seen ghosts and right. there was a few blokes on there saying oh, normally, no you didn't you idiot exactly blah, blah, normally blah. you would say that and you'd have blokes going oh shut up you dickhead you know like, as if that yeah. yeah right but there's a lot of a lot of guys on there and they're talking about I saw this and I saw that and my missus saw this and and you know, it's accepted. Yep, and that's great. Well, that's like my father. He 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 swear. And my dad would never. He's not a he. I don't think he's ever bullshitted in his life. Yeah, he's just that kind of guy. Like no. I, I I don't think he's ever. You know, he swears to this day that he was coming home from stocking number two, down the gully from you know Stockington Colliery, mm. and to back to, to our place down Hosville. When he went down as he was approaching up the hill to sort of get back on the, the road that takes you up to um, Mount Sugarloaf, he said as he came down the bottom of the galley, he jammed on the brakes because he thought it was a dog. Hmm. And as he stopped, it was the, the panther that people have been seeing oh. in that. And he said it just stood there, looked at him, and then just shot like, as a, as like a cat, just sprung into the bush and, and never to be seen again. Now, yeah. he had a mate that worked at the colliery that had been going on there for years saying there's a panther that lives in this area. You know, Those it, feral cats get pretty big. Well, that's what I said. I, I said, Dad, how big was it? And he, once again, my old man doesn't exaggerate. He, he's clamped me down for bullshit for years, like, and I'm full of it. So he, he's been on my case for fucking ages about, you know, like, you know, and if he says something's three foot long, it's, it's three foot long. And it, he reckons it was a good four, four and a half feet. Yeah, right. between four and five feet in length, stretched out. So that's that's bigger than any feral cat you're going to see. Yeah, yeah, you and, know. You know, and the stories. I mean, the Penrith Panthers are named because of the, the 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 panthers that are supposedly in the mountains that people have seen. I mean, no one's ever caught one, but there's one in South Australia too. They've got a big tiger sitting on top of the on top of the pub there, and I forget the name of the town now. Not that far out of Adelaide. Yep. But um, starts with an N. I can't remember now that. No, I'm not going to guess. But anyway, they've got a big tiger on top of the hotel there, and um, but when you go inside, it actually tells all the story about why they thought it was a tiger and everything else. And they've they've got the actual dog. It ended up being a dog. They've got the actual dog that's stuffed. Not much difference. No, and, and, and it's sitting in in the case inside the pub, which is like 
the Muso used to be. Was it a brindle brindle coat on the dog, which is yeah, the stripy type of coat? Yeah, so, stripy well, that, that amber coat. type brindle coat. So it probably would have looked a bit tigery, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't exactly. Was it a feral dog, or did someone own it? Oh, I forget can't, the I forget the whole story, mate. But it it went so there, there went go, feral. There you go, folks. Like look that up. Maybe Google like uh, South Australian tiger. Turns out to be a dog or something, you know, like. But yeah, the, I mean, there's a lot of that mythology getting around. But but you talk I, about, t- I tend to believe my father on the panther one. Well, I was uh, not just me. It was about seven or eight of us. Here we are breaking the rules again. Yep. In eight oh eight wagon, which was a tiny twelve twelve hundred motor, I think. Anyway, a tiny station wagon, which was my first car. Yep. And we'd coming back from in town, and um, lo and behold, it's the anniversary of them in my ghost. Of when the, the child was killed, the bo- young boy was killed, and he's got his uh, grave there. As you come in from Walls End, from Marylands Way down into Minmai, and you've got the bridge. Yep. You know the bridge? And yep. the old cemetery's just off to the left. Yep. We were talking about it, and we come down there. We said, oh, we'll go home the long way back through there, and we're coming down the hill, and mate, it was there. This ghost was there. We all saw it, every one of us saw it. And we're all going, ah, there it is, there it is. Can I just ask what, what it was you actually saw? Did you see like an apparition of a boy? Was it clear? It was, or was it just a white light? Was it an orb? It, it was um, a glowing, partially Casper the Ghost sort of figure, but a, you could see a bit of a boyish sort of outline there as well. And it was a freezing cold morning. It was like 2, 2.30 in the morning, middle of winter. It was a really cold morning. And um, we didn't think it, none of us thought it looked like a, a kid with a flashlight under a sheet. We were all pretty convinced it was a bloody ghost. It was eight of us there and we all agreed. Yep. And uh, so that's that's the only real ghost I think I've seen. And that was the, the Minmite, that you say so you believe you saw the Minmite. And it's, that was it's, the anniversary. Well, it's kind of documented. I've, I've heard of the Minmite ghost uh, as a sort of a folk tale from back home. Mm. And that, there was... There was also another. You go apparently if you go out to the uh, the old West Falls End Cemetery too, and that certain times of night and couple up there. They reckon there was a few up there, and look up, you know. So I've always questioned: is it is it do people see things when they want to see them, or subconsciously thinking of it and then it appears? And does you know I mean like does that happen or you know, like the legitimacy of of was there a ghost here? I mean it's always going to be in question till proven, but. Yeah, I love those old stories. Just, just quick. I know you've been wanting to bring Cracker Wells into this all all day. <laughs> I forgot about that, but yeah. But anyway, look, it's a ghost a ghost story of of sorts. Now, Cracker had bought himself a new caravan, and uh, you know, Cracker, he was pretty proud of it and that, and he took it away to Tamworth Country Music Festival. You got heaps of Cracker story. We didn't do a podcast just called the Cracker Stories. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, oh, Cracker can. We'll stay in your caravan. No, you aren't staying in my van, scum, he said. <laughs> so we all had to camp back at the showground. I'm not sure if it was raining that night or whatever, but anyway, we'll say it was to make it more dramatic. Anyway, uh, Cracker parked his, his caravan in a street in Tamworth outside of a house. We knew the bloke there, Neil, and he camped there. Anyway, he sent us home and next morning... Crackers woke up 20 miles out, get this, 20 miles out of Tamworth, looking at a quarry wall. (laughs) 
not in his not in his caravan. He's in his caravan. Oh, someone's <laughs> someone's told a lot. Of, yeah, 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 yeah. Crackers. We we organised to tow him away. We got the bloke out the house who was sober. Yeah, we got him to tow Cracker out of out of town twenty k and drop him out the twenty k's out of town. Brilliant. And um and Cracker Cracker woke up. He said, "I got up." He said, "I went to me door, and I went I opened the door and I yawning and I shit I'm on the moon." <laughs> <laughs> and he. He said, I, I just thought these all assholes. And then he went back to bed and just waited for us to come and get him sort of thing. And uh, He's a pretty casual cracker. I, I, yeah. I put that post on the bloke's advice the other day and I said, you can't tell me there weren't spirits involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, yeah, <laughs> he's got a really like level demeanour old cracker. Yeah, he? Like, yeah. he would have just got up and went, oh, and that would have been it. That's all he well, would have done. He just went, Another oh, kid, uh, he, he had a tough life too. He had a tough childhood. Yeah. Very tough. A lot of people did it tough out our way. It was a, wasn't a real, even though it was a mining community and people associate mining with money and that. There, there wasn't. There was not a lot of. There were a lot of haves and have nots. The mine, yeah. you know, mining families must, were, were well, a lot better off than my most parents, others. My father worked at uh, Mallinson's Timbers back in the day, like when I was a young bloke, and we weren't on top dollar and, you know, we scrambled and you wore your school shoes for th as long as they fit and until your toes were poking out mm. of them and, you know, but I do remember the day he got the job at the colliery and that, uh, life changed. Oh, I thought he was always in the mines. No, he, he, he I mean, he was in for a long time, don't get me mm. wrong, but up until I was about seven or eight, he was working at Mallinson's Tippers, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, and then he then he got the the mining. He was all, he should have always been in it, really, I suppose. But that Mallinson, he's only ever had two jobs. He's only ever had the the Mallinson's job, and then working as a coal miner. So. Look at this, Joe. Chatting away here, hour after hour, not one beer. How good's that? Not one beer. That's not what I love about beer. these podcasts. People don't talk like we're talking now. You know, we sit down. Don't get me wrong. We sit down at with Captain Rusty at Rusty's Bar and Grill, and we um. We talk like this for hours, but I, I wanted to kind of, and it's been weird. It's like we started off very political, and I know you had, you, it's been on your chest, that whole COVID thing, and you wanted to get it out there. Um, no pun intended. But, but I must admit, when we got back in and just stories from back home, that's at my comfort zone with you. I love mm. talking about all that old stuff. And look, it's, I'm sure it's interesting. I'm sure people would listen to it going, oh, it's cool listening to those old stories. We will wrap it up shortly, but I want to invite you back one day and do a bit of research and, and take some notes down in interim. And I want to, one, bring out, the, well, let's call it the Cracker Stories, the Cracker Sagas. Oh, God. And let's talk about, like, funny stories, and we'll both talk about funny stories from from as we grew up because we can relate to each other where it was and what happened. Mm. And secondly, you know, uh, I could verify some of the places and things that have happened over the years that we both have been partaking in, as well as uh, I want to open up onto some football trips away, in particular one Port Macquarie trip away, oh, which no. as the old goes on tour. But I think after 20 years, we can open that can of worms wow. and talk about some funny things that went on in those days yep. and shed things yep. that went on. And yeah, I've I got a few, few characters I want to introduce, uh, Big Shawnee. Uh, Big Shorty Cal was one that I'd like to talk about and some of the things that went on there. Of course, our mate Zach, which, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, you know, I'll open up on some uh, stupid things I did. Yeah, it would be really good. But, Carl, look, just to wrap it up, mate, thanks for coming on. It's uh, I've been trying to get you on a podcast for years. You talk very well, and I must admit it was weird listening to you talk like some sort of professor at the start of the podcast. It's good that you sort of. I'm no professor, mate. I'll you've tell calmed you. down and become 
you know, and I think I just called you your name again, but you you've, ca you've calmed down and you, uh, you've calmed down and you, you, you've become you again, Captain Rusty. So yeah, that's cool. Mate, thanks very much for uh, coming on. Is there anything you want to say that we to sign us out? Anything you want to just quickly Mate, I've drop before we leave? I've enjoyed it more than I thought I would. You've been asking me to do a podcast for years. I know. And, and, and you know, I've got some cooking tips and everything that I've done at home and various things, and which I've got videos of, but sure you. I like talking to people who, I mean, when you, if you have a politician or if you have an author on or someone like that, there's a narrative with the conversation. They've, but, they've got to stick you, when, to some sort yeah, of Yeah, exactly. But story. when you've got, you know, a mate or somebody who's just a fellow musician or someone who's not anybody that, you know, that, that, that the media knows, you know, not a household name, then it's so much, we can talk about so much more. I was just going to say too, just, I just wanted to throw in there that not just team sports are good for kids. Yep. Um, I think music too, if you're in a band or whatever and you're, you're mixing with people. We're well, social the common, animals. The common link there is camaraderie. That's right. Let's you know. not go down another bloody rabbit hole now. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, John. Captain Enjoyed Rusty, it. thank you very much, mate. Can't wait to have you on the podcast again. Thank you very much for coming down, Captain Rusty. That's been a massive podcast. Um, I can't wait to hear the edited version and uh, listen to what we uh, rabbited on about for the last three hours. Really good to have him in. Just very quickly, uh, this weekend coming up at the 60-30, we have three bands, awesome bands, and that is on the 13th. That is Tungsten, Apple Bite, Beggars of Acid, and a band called Blunt. So uh, get on down there. I've called it the Lords of Rock. It's going to be the Lords of Rock presentation down there. It's probably the only live music happening around the northern suburbs. Everything else has got the big kibosh put on it at the moment. So uh, if you can get on down there and check out those guys, they are absolutely fantastic. And you I'm, need to communicate with me about all these things too. I don't, I don't know till the last minute half the time. Well, oh yeah, well, as Captain Rusty's a massive music lover, so yeah, I will, I'll, I'll put you on a lot of that, lot more about what's happening around the place. Do often pick him up, and uh, on the way to a good shindig, and uh, yeah, he comes down and. Uh, wreaks his normal havoc so uh thanks very much for listening my name's jai you've been listening to stacks podcast oh my god aren't we maturing after four years of podcasting over and out